Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome to this session on putting our common welfare first. My name is Brad. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. And uh, De- Denise and I will be facilitating this session. Um, would you like to give them your name and sobriety date? I think we're not supposed to move this. That's why it's supposed to be. Um, uh, Denise, a sexaholic from Ireland, sober since uh, the 29th of November, 2009. My sobriety date's October 28th, 2009. So you got a couple of 10-year guys up here. And uh, that doesn't mean much of anything. (laughs) Each of us will share our recovery on this topic. Then we'll take time to answer questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket. Um, If you wish to participate, write your question on the 3x5 cards, place it in the basket on the table. We We don't have a basket, but you can put them right here in front of us. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, This is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence, excuse me, all cell phones. Let's open with the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. And, and the, the wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. difference. Be done. Okay, each of us are going to share our experience with the topic of common welfare. We'll uh, close with questions if there are any. And we, w- we welcome your questions. And uh, so let's get started. You know... I was, as I always do, some of you guys know me, and you know I'm kind of a duly problemed person. I tell people I'm a member of ACOA, and that means I'm addicted to being the center of attention. And so being up here on this panel feeds that part of my disease. But I also know it's part of my recovery, to share my experience, strength, and hope. So my hope this morning is that my share comes from that place of healing, not illness. Um, I prepare always to talk about whatever topic I'm on, and I don't ever apologize for my preparation, but I know usually my preparation is pretty meaningless in that I want to be up here and say what God wants to say. What, what God wants to tell you guys, it's really not what Brad's ego comes with. 
So I started thinking about common welfare a couple of weeks ago, and I, like I said, I prepared my little talk, but my experience this morning is where I'd really like to start. I got up about 6.30, I got ready, I came down and I registered, and I had connection with the guys at the, at the uh, registration table. And I, I know a couple of these guys from the past, from my recovery, and I was able to share where I'm at right now. And then in walks a friend from the very beginning, and another friend from a place that my wife and I went to share our story, and a friend from Slovakia that I just met this morning at the literature table. And you know, that's what this common welfare theme is about. Making the real connection, coming home, and then joining with, together one another to carry our message. Common welfare is a phrase that comes out of the first tradition which I just want to read from the 12 and 12 from AA. It says, Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on SA unity. And what, I've, what I'm learning is that this idea of unity is the foundation for all of the traditions. The first tradition tells us that we have to be in step with one another. We have to have unity. All of the rest of the traditions, in some way or another, help us understand how to have unity in a particular situation. How to have unity with each other. How to have unity with the fellowship in, in, in its whole. How to have, uni- how to have a, a common message to the people outside of our fellowship as well. Because some of the traditions deal with our our connection to society as a whole. And so this one sets the table for all of the others. Um, the 12 and 12 basically says that unity is the lifeblood of every essay group. And that, as I said before, this is the tradition that sets the foundation. One of the things that I think is really important when you talk about traditions, or when I talk about traditions, is to understand the difference between a meeting and a group. And one of the things that helped me begin to understand that, along with a really well-informed sponsor, was this little pamphlet. It's an AA pamphlet. It says the AA group. You know, a meeting, and I see a lot of people nodding, so you guys probably all know this already. But for me, a meeting is a gathering of individuals with a common problem. And a meeting may or may not be a group. A group is a spiritual entity. A group exists 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A group is a is a is a, com- a committed group of members that are 
in their making their best effort to carry this message that we have. This our primary purpose is to carry our message. And every group has a message. And it may look a little different, but it's a it's a common message that we carry. Sexual sobriety and progressive victory over lust. That's our message, my opinion. So the meeting, again, may be just to get together. It may be a place where people come to recharge their ego. They may come to uh, bolster their willpower to make it through another day. They may get together to talk about their common problem with no solution. But I think the groups have something more than that. And that's what I look for when I go. I want to be a part of a group. A group carries its message to others outside the meeting most of the time. Um, So that's what I I kind of understand about groups and meetings. And I hope that I can always be a part of a group, my home group. Most of us know what a home group is. You know, I have a home group. I'm a part of a home group. That's where I do my service. Most of my home, most of my service work comes out of my home group. And then I may or may not get involved in service at another level, but it starts with my group. My first responsibility in my home group was literature chair. And we had a little cabinet, we had books in it. And it was my job to make sure the books stayed in there and the money got transferred out. And that was my first that was my first experience with with service at SA and it meant so much to me. And because I always had product. You know, part part of what I had in my illness was product. And and I remember one day I called a friend of mine. I'd been to the AA or SA uh, bookstore and I'd bought a bunch of books. And I called him up and I said, "Hey man, I got the goods." And he knew what I'm talking about. He laughed, and I laughed. And, and, you know, fortunately, those goods are a little more productive and useful and less destructive than the goods that I used to be messing around with. So traditions are guidelines for relationships. They are guidelines, and, you know, it's important to know a definition of tradition for me. Um. I looked up the defi- the word tradition in the dictionary. My sponsor told me dictionary is conference-approved literature. <laughs> it's okay to look up the meaning of a word. But, you know, my ego says, I know what that means. I've got that. I know what a tradition is. Well, I didn't. So I look it up, and, and the def- definition I remember that I, I found that works for me is, A tradition is a loosely held custom. All of us have traditions in our home, in our family, in our community, in our worship congregations. We all have traditions. And it doesn't mean it's a law. It's not like you must. It's a suggestion. And these suggestions, these traditions, 
were hammered out, the 12 and 12 says, on the anvil of experience. A friend of mine used to say people died for these traditions because they didn't have them. They didn't wake up one day, Bill didn't wake up one day and write them out and say, okay, let's live by this. They learned these traditions over time, and they finally got them in writing, and they shared that experience with us so we don't have to make the same mistakes that they made in the early days. Thank God. You know, I'm very grateful for these traditions. So they help us in their guidelines for relationship. They are guidelines for relationships of a member and members within a group They're guidelines for groups with each other. They're guidelines for groups with the fellowship and fellowship with society. And these guidelines are our boundaries. They're our borders. They're kind of like the the bumpers in a bowling alley. You ever been to a bowling alley and bowled with the bumpers in the alleyways? They keep us from going off in the gutter. And that's what these things are for. And your group is going to interpret these traditions differently than my group because these are spiritual principles. They're not laws. And spiritual principles get interpreted differently based on our experience. My group in Nashville, I don't live in Nashville anymore, but my group in Nashville was kind of a, uh, I would say, laissez-faire group. We had a lot of, you know, let live and let live was our interpretation of the of the uh, traditions. And sometimes that just burned me up. I'm like, you know, I'm one of these ducks in a row people. And and they'd say, oh, well, you know, you know, you can be a sexaholic or you can be a sex addict or you can be powerless over lust or any other way you want to introduce yourself. And I'm like, no, we're sexaholics. We don't have sex addicts here. And these guys didn't seem to be bothered by it. But, you know, I'm like, Ur. and fortunately, they taught me a whole lot because I tried to practice this this principle of common welfare. My recovery depends on my unity with my home group. So that requires me sometimes to put my my best ideas uh, aside. And it requires me to say, okay, maybe the group's got a better idea than I do. And that's something that that's very important to me. I will I wrote down a question, who shows up at SA? And whose welfare are we concerned for? You know, welfare is well-being, health, well-being. Whose well-being are we really to be concerned about? And I wrote down a couple of things. Um, To me, there are three types of folks that come to our meetings. There are members, there are attendees, and they're discouraged inquirers. You know, Roy says, this will and should discourage many inquirers. We read that at our meeting. So 
I don't know if you've ever looked around the room and saw a discouraged inquirer. I have. I've seen those guys and those ladies, and they're discouraged. I've seen attendees, and they may be there because their therapist told them to come, or their spouse threatened them, or a judge may have suggested it, or somewhere or another, they've wandered and found their way into an SA meeting. And I would, have, I, would, I would classify myself an attendee when I came to SA. I had an agenda, and it had nothing to do with sexual sobriety. My agenda was I was going to divorce my wife, move in with my girlfriend, and do it with integrity. And I knew I had to have a clear mind in order to do that. I came to SA to clear my mind. And that was my agenda. That was my purpose. I was an attendee. I was talking to a fellow this morning, a pharaoh from Slovakia, about a friend that we both know, Luke, from Belgium. And Luke was at my very first meeting, and Luke came up to me at that meeting. He said, can I get your phone number? Well, I'll call you, check in with you. I said, heck no. You know, no, I'm not giving you my number. I'm not connecting with you. I'm just here for my agenda. Well, it turns out Luke and I became friends. He's a wonderful, beautiful brother in recovery. We share a common Welfare. We share a common purpose. I don't know what I'm doing on time. Um, 20 minutes. I'm almost done. Yeah. Anyway, we share a common welfare. Um, go for as long as you want. <laughs> she said, go for as long as I want. She doesn't know. <laughs> Curtis. <laughs> Remember the ACOA thing. Anyway, attendees can can be part of our groups, part of our meetings. And the question is, whose common welfare are we concerned about? And for me, all. Every one of the above. All of the above. It's not my job to try to decide who's going to recover and who's not. I I made friends with the fellow one time. We went out to eat a couple of times. He was just one of those really likable guys. And I called my sponsor, and I told my sponsor about him. And, and I said, man, I hope he makes it. And my sponsor says, I have no doubt he can make it. And I'm thinking, dude, you've never even met the guy. How do you know he can make it? You don't know anything about him. Well, it had nothing to do with the guy. It had everything to do with the program. It had everything to do with the fact that we were members trying to carry a message to him that worked, that had credibility, that had success behind it. And so Scott, my sponsor, had every bit of faith in the program. He didn't need to know the guy. And that needs to be the way I look at it. The way I try to do the second step is, in a, in first of all, it had to be very singular. It had to be for me, that I believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. But it also became a, 
a step that became very plural in that a power greater than ourselves, that's the word in the step, could restore us to sanity. So when I look around this room, I have to believe that step is true for every person in this room, every person in this conference, every person out there in the world, that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And that's our common welfare. That's where we're headed. We're all in various states of repair. But we're all moving, can be moving, towards a very spiritual awakening experience. And that's what I'm after. I hope that's what you're after. Um, Just a real quick reference to uh, the first page in the chapter 2 in the big book. There is a solution, page 17, and then it goes over to page 18. And that's the cha- that's where Bill starts. Bill Wilson starts to talk about we share a common peril. You know the people on the shipwrecked boat, and they're all going downhill, and they're all going into the water, and they they get rescued. So they they share a common solution. So those are two of the things that we share to it, with one another: common peril, a common solution. But I believe this idea of common welfare goes just a little bit beyond that because on page 17, there's this paragraph in italics, which my sponsor told me was really something I needed to pay attention to. It says, the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with the facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. And I think our common welfare is what leads us to that understanding. It's not just a matter of the newcomer understanding me. It's a matter of me understanding that newcomer. And that understanding is where common welfare takes place. Common welfare is a spiritual experience. You know, it's like that feeling of, I just want to cry. I don't cry, but I want to cry. It's that feeling of, we've got something here that's going to take us to a whole nother place. We're going to be rocketed to the fourth dimension. That's common welfare. Um. How do I practice common welfare? Just I'm going to read these real quick and then I'm going to be quiet. How do I practice unity? One, I avoid gossip. I've learned that the hard way. I've gossiped about some of you guys. And I've learned that that's just not real healthy for me or anyone else. I avoid, I avoid making judgments. I think I've talked about that already. I become an active member in my group. Um, You're a member if you say so. If you look at that third tradition, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and be sexually sober. When you engage with that tradition, you are a member. 
and no one can say you're not a member. But I wanted to be active in my group. I took service positions. I got active in the service structure. I've been in, our, in the Nashville intergroup for years. I'm not doing it right now, but I, I have. And I've learned a lot. I want to be an informed member. How can I bring anything to the table if I don't know what the, what's going on? I can't just walk into a business meeting and make an informed decision. I want to be an informed member. SA has had its divisions. We've had our rifts. And I became an informed member about those issues. And I hope I can stay informed about what's happening on the firing line of Sexaholics Anonymous. That's where I can become a, a, a useful part of this common welfare, to be an informed member. I surrender self-will. I surrender my best ideas. I listen to others' ideas. Another thing I do is I bring my gifts to the party. You know, I didn't get born and put on this earth to be a knot on a log. I believe my higher power infused, gave me certain gifts to share. My third step goes something like this. The power, the spirit of the universe knows what I need. But the spirit of the universe also knows what it needs from me. So if I don't show up with my gifts, I'm not practicing unity. I got to be humble. I got to be realistic. I got to be honest. I got to know my character defects. But I also have to know my gifts. If my gift is to sit up here and share, I sit up here and share. If my gift is to take out the trash, I take out the trash. Both are equally important. None is more important than the other. But each of us have something special that we bring no one else can bring to recovery. And if we lose a person who needs to be here with us, we lose their gifts. That messed up new guy, that messed up woman, that man, that person, blubbering nothing, has gifts that if we don't get them, we miss them. And so bringing those gifts out is part of our responsibility. We were talking about people that uh, don't want to be active in SA. And one of my buddies over there was saying, um, it just these people just don't want to do anything. And I told him, I said, I've been there. I've, I've looked into those blank stares. You know, are there any essay re- announcements? Y'all get that at your meeting? There always should be essay announcements everywhere, every day, every time. We're all, we should be actively doing stuff. And I'll get up and I'll give that announcement and I'll be as excited as I can be. And beep, you know, crickets. And I used to think that was apathy and I got a resentment and I didn't like those folks. But I realize now that's the illness of sexaholism. That's isolation in the flesh right there in front of us. That's, that's that person that can't get from that chair to that place of service or that place of fellowship and that place of activity. Um, 
I have to know my place. I have to know my purpose. I have to practice genuine humility. Tradition 12. And I have to anticipate tradition number two, which is uh, the only authority is the loving God as expressed in our group conscience. And I know some of y'all have seen that happen. I know I have. I took a I took a suggestion to my home group one morning in our business meeting, and it was the best idea I'd had in a long time. <laughs> and they decided we discussed it, we talked it out, and they decided maybe another direction would be a better idea. So by the time the discussion occurred, the loving God expressed itself in our group conscience. I voted against my own motion because I knew that was they were right. That's that's nothing but a higher power. That's God getting me out of the way, carrying His message. My story is not my story. My story is God's story, as expressed through me, and that's our common welfare. So, thank you. Which one? The white book, just certainly. Hello, I'm Denise. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Denise. Thanks, Brad. I don't know what to say after that, actually. I'm kind of here rummaging for something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was really good. I just was thinking earlier what, what, you know, what is our common welfare, but also there's a lovely reading in the white book that we don't always, well, I don't hear that often. Um, which is, I'll just look at the index. No, I don't. Hmm, I can never find it, but I need, oh yeah. And it touches on a lot of what Brad was talking about. Um, the Fellowship of Sobriety on page 171 of the White Book. To have a share in any earthly inheritance is to diminish the share of the other inheritors. In the inheritance of the fellowship, that which each has goes to increase the possession of the rest. In this inheritance, a man may desire and endeavor to obtain his share without selfish prejudice to others. Nay, to fail of our share in it would be to deprive others of a portion of theirs. The true share is not what you have to keep, but what you have to give away. Every one of us is something that the other is not, and therefore knows something, it may be without knowing that he knows it, which no one else knows. It is everyone's business, an inheritor in it all, to give his portion to the rest, for we are one family with God at the head and heart of it. So I think, um, yeah, this is by George MacDonald, I don't know who he is, but 1891, um, this is in the White Book, and... Yeah, it really does sort of, what, what are we, you know, and I heard some really interesting, um, points made there by Brad, you know, this idea of the home group, you know, a meeting versus a group. Um, I also have a background in AA and, you know, my first, my life was given to me by AA first and then I got a deepening and richer part of my life in, in SA. Well, they're both uh, rich, but, um, and, um, so I have this kind of idea of um, the welfare. Um, so I just lost my train of thought there. <laughs> um, and uh, this fellowship of the spirit. Um, 
Okay, so that we all bring, yeah, as Brad said, what we have are we all have our own gifts. And if we don't, um, if we're not present, we can't give our gifts and we're, you know, the fellowship's losing. Um, and I've just completely lost my train of thought. I'm very tired. <laughs> huh? A group. Oh, sorry. Thank you, Aviat. A group and a meeting. What's the difference? Okay. So for me, um, a group is very distinct from a meeting. Um, a group, I, I would have had uh, a home group in a very big venue um, when I was in a different country in my, my in AA. And there would have been something like 20 meetings a week in that group. So it was a big group and we had a big group conscience. So there'd be a representative from each meeting going to the central group conscience of that um and so you know you'd have to have representatives from the afternoon meetings the morning meeting you'd have the service roles and all of that um and it's really important that um because then you have the conscience of the group of everybody you know are we going to like an essay would be you know are we going to meet people before the meeting and you know 12 step them two people together we're we going to let people in off the street you know those kind of decisions that your group wants to decide on um you know what time we're we going to open what time we're we close what we're we going to do service all of those things and the group conscience is monthly and also about toilet rolls remember we had a massive issue about toilet rolls at one group conscience <laughs> who's buying them and did you buy them and nobody was like you know so it's not all highfalutin stuff you know um <laughs> But the thing about the group conscience is really important because a group conscience is you sit down, you open, you have a second tradition, you read it, you, you go through, you have an agenda, you have a chair, you write the minutes, you bring things to the floor, people discuss, they don't discuss, and you, you vote, and then you make decisions. And then the group follows, communicates the decisions to the other meetings of your group or to the other members. And so the next day when somebody comes into the meeting, they can't call a group conscience to change that decision that's been made at the group conscience, you know. So you can't have it, you know, that, well, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but it's not recommended because the spiritual body has voted on, let's say, we're going to open, we're not going to, um, we're not going to 12-step people, okay? The group's decided that, let's say. And somebody arrives in who wasn't at the group conscience, didn't participate, didn't vote, comes in the next day and decides, oh, no, we're going to have a group conscience to change that because I don't like it. And I see that sometimes. And, of course, if you have a difficulty that arises in a group on the spot, you know, you might need to call a bit of a, a group conscience of that meeting to say, you know, it's a business meeting. We need to discuss this actual situation that's just occurred, you know. But the general, the group is, as already mentioned, is an entity that has a conscience and has monthly meetings to discuss the conscience of this group and representatives from each meeting that go to carry the conscience of their meeting to the group conscience of the group, you know. And the distinction is um, business meeting or group conscience, um, in my experience. And this is just my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find that very important because, you know, I am full of opinions and, you know, I could decide, well, I don't like that. You know, who are they anyway? I mean, you know, or another thing I have a little thing about, um, you know, it's a bit like if you don't vote, don't complain, right, about things, you know. So to be a member of the group conscience, you actually have to be in the meeting, huh? the group conscience meeting. 
you can't do this long distance, you know, um, or getting your sponsee to push forward your idea or, you know, we've got a letter from Mr. Whoever up in the mountains there who decide we want you to do this. You have to be present at that group conscience. And so when then the decisions are made, um, you know, abide by them if you can. If you don't like, if you think it's a violation, if you really would like to bring it to your conscience, come to the group conscience. And I remember this in this big group and it was the toilet roll scenario. This guy and he was complaining, he was giving out and he said, who got that? And I said, I just said to him, well, I was a bit mean, but I didn't mean to be what I said. Oh, that's funny. I never saw you at the group consciences. <laughs> and he went, oh yeah. Now, like as a group of 250 people, 11 people turning up at the group conscience, do you know? It's like, you know, so the thing about being a member or attendee or, you know, and, you know, we're all entitled to arrive as we wish you know, and attend as we wish, you know, it's not, um, but I think when I, when I say these things, it's kind of in reference to myself, you know, that this is what I've learned to feel part of, you know, to belong, to be in the center of the life raft. And as other members say, this is where the party is, right? You know, the party's in the center and it's great fun. <laughs> I'm looking at a lot of different people. We've had plenty of parties over the year. <laughs> Um, and it's just so great fun, you know, and I go down to the group, the meetings, and I'm saying, oh, it's great, we've got this convention here, and we're doing this, and I'm like, I'm like, guys, it's great fun, you've no idea, and they're like, what's wrong with her, like, you know, she hasn't got a life, you know, and I'm like, well, I've just been to Israel, I've just been to Spain, I'm in Nashville, you know, went to Poland for a week, you know, this is great, like, this is great fun, meet wonderful people, see great places, um, and the places don't count as such, you know, it's the interaction, it's the kindness. You know, when I went for a week to Poland, it wasn't, oh, I'm in Poland, let's go sightseeing, which was kind of a side effect. You know, you see it as you're on the train. It was, they met me at every station and treated me with such love, kindness and fellowship. They celebrated me as a human, you know, and I brought my experience, strength and hope to them. So it's an exchange, you know, I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. Um that we, we offer each other. And so the common welfare is, um, it's more important than, on some level, it's more important than the individual. But of course, if you don't have individual welfare, you can't have common welfare, you know, so they're kind of bound to each other. But if I have an opinion or something that I want to push forward, um, and the group does not wish it, be I right or be I wrong, you know, and I'm rarely wrong. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> Um, you know, I have learned to go with it. And I really, the tradition one in this um, book is just so complete, you know. Um, but it covers even like the steps because I was talking about it with somebody else uh, the other day about sponsorship and about for them, we were saying, yeah, and for me, it's the same. Like I obey my sponsor. It's obedience. It's not like today, yeah, I'm going to take or tomorrow. I'm if I choose this sponsor, I want what they have. And I'm going to do what they do to get what they have. Otherwise, I'll go to somebody else who has something else that I want. 
And so I obey. Um, now, I don't have directive sponsorship as in they don't tell me, you know, have coffee at this time or do your shopping at that time. You know, that, I'm not talking about that kind of direction, though at times maybe I would have needed guidance in what's the next right indicated thing to do. Um, but it's more about, you know, the spiritual obedience to and it comes through the action of submitting to. Yeah, I mean, I had somebody with completely different religious faith, um, different ideas, all sorts of weird. It was really and they were helping me with something. And um, I just submitted to and I did things that were even against my own, you know, not major things, but against my own principles, if you like, because I knew a, I wanted what they had. Two, I knew God was translating, you know, between the religions and the ideas, you know, that there was a translation going on and really powerful things happened, you know, and I think that's the beauty of, you know, um, this program and the common welfare as well means that it really ties in with anonymity as well, because spiritual anonymity, I mean, not, you know, your personal information anonymity, because we all have our religious beliefs, our political views, our perspectives, you know, and it's completely off the table because our common welfare is what binds us, you know, and I think that actually is a gift to the world. You know, because um, it's real. It's not tolerance. It's something more than that. It's much deeper than that. Um, and here I was just, that's why I brought up the obedience, because it's actually in tradition one. Somewhere I just read there's the word of being obedient to the principles. Um, so those who look closely soon have the key to the strange paradox. The AA member has to conform to the principles of recovery. His life actually depends upon obedience to spiritual principles. Um, so if he deviates too far, the penalty is sure and swift. He sickens and dies. So for me, when I, you know, suggestions, well, okay, it is a suggestion. But often, more often than not, it's a suggestion that you might want to do this because you probably die if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I suggest you consider, you know. Um, and so that's that's just my own personal um, experience of. Now, I have at the moment a very gentle sponsor and she wouldn't be giving any directions or but I do, you know, follow. And recently um, I found myself lying and I hadn't done it. in eight. I was it was really weird. And I had to, it was a delicate situation um, at work. One man did something for me that I didn't ask him to do, which was actually illegal. And then his boss was asking me and I was like, oh, God, I want to caretake the first guy because he's my friend, you know, well, just whatever. And yeah, I ring up my AA sponsor and he says, yeah, Denise, stop at the story. You know what you have to do. <laughs> like, okay, so I had to ring up um the the boss fell and say, look, I'm sorry I lied to you, but this guy did this and he was trying to help me and I don't know why or whatever. And then I had to tell the other guy, look, I had to rat you out because you put me in a position of having to lie for you. I didn't ask you to do that, you know. Um, but the obedience is important because I really did not want to do that. I did not want to do it, you know. And if I'd had any margin, I think I probably wouldn't have you know, and it would have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So for me, the welfare is the same. You know, you might want to have, you know, sobriety in your meetings. You might want to have read, you know, read from the literature. You know, their suggestions. You know, we the suggestion that we take our turn to speak. I mean, that's just a really fundamental thing, but it's so important. It doesn't happen in many places of the world. You know, where 
you're listening to me now and then I will listen to you. You know, it's not this crossing over. You know, there's no me saying, oh, no, your opinion's wrong and my opinion's right. You know, those guidelines, you know, are what makes it possible um, for us to to actually uh, survive. Um, and then it's about the unity as well. And and I have, um, you know, one thing I heard somebody say, which just really struck me as well, just because a whole group says something and they vote on it doesn't mean that the thing is right. Mm. You know, so that's the one thing you need to keep in mind when you're voting. And uh, so that's why we have the minority opinion. So people can come and, you know, um, so we've all little, little gadgets in the, the traditions. They're amazing. Like they're absolutely amazing. Um, and yet for unity, I may have to not get controversial about something that the majority of the group feels is right. You know, so I'm not going to put a spoke in the wheel just because my opinion is different. I'm going to go with the unity of the group conscience. And if that's what the group conscience has decided, whether I like it or not, I'm going with it, you know, um, and that can be hard at times. And um, and I'll end on this. These are the concepts now. These are all tied into the concepts as well, because it's not just the, the steps. It's not just the traditions. It's also the concepts, you know, that, you know, there's all of this unity. There's all of this common welfare. But then there's the gift aspect and that I need to bring Denise to whatever I'm bringing, you know, and whatever my voice is be it, you know, against what the group wants or in favor of what the group wants. I have a sort of a duty also, you know, to follow the group, but also then to bring my own spiritual God, you know, if God is speaking through me and I'm, I'm being mindful of all of it. So, so yeah, um, I don't know what more to say because I think, um, I think we do have controversial issues in this program that are specific, you know, um, to our disease and to our groups, such as, you know, the gender difficulties and stuff like that. Um, and how, if you have on both sides, you know, um, the drug in the room, you know, I don't go to AA meetings in pubs. Do you know what I mean? I go to AA meetings in churches. Whereas if you're in a, a sexaholic meeting, I have my drug in every single meeting I'm going to. <laughs> so it's a bit like a food program I suppose you have to eat three times a day so you have to manage it you know I have to sit in the meetings and and that can be very difficult it's not it's not difficult for me today um but it was very difficult and it could be very difficult depending on what happens on any given day you know there can be something that could happen and it could start being a problem again you know, um, and so the common welfare, and I do have to say the common welfare is not to eliminate the different person who's making us uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> As in, we're going to close this meeting to this only. It's about working our program, you know, and it's about the common welfare is, am I really surrendering lust or am I hiding out in what I perceive to be a, a safe place? So, you know, there are men and women in the world. There are lust triggers everywhere if you're lusting. And recovery is not suggesting that we live separately, but that we actually don't lust one day at a time, you know. And I was just sharing with somebody when I was in early recovery, I got sober with just men and no women. And I, I, I did, after about three years, have get my sponsor, but she was in Australia. It's very far away, you know, and thank 
God and you know God does have a plan um that the men I met in my fellowship and I share about this a lot were sober men you know um I think they're great and very special but I think they were just really sober men and they were able to I I was you know I was a sexaholic I, mean, I am a sex I was you know I wore inappropriate clothes I was moving I was giddy I'm sure I was flirting because I don't know I don't remember you know um and I arrived in I remember in Ireland oh guys you see I mean you're a natural here you're much more relaxed and open in Ireland they're sitting like this and all wearing black and gray <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys and no, none of them you know, under 40, you know, and my name's, and then the meeting was over, you know. So, you know, <laughs> but I knew I was blessed. I was blessed because I came from AA and all I saw was SA, AASA, AA works, SA works. I just didn't even notice actually there were no women for quite a while. I was just so out of it, but just so knew that the steps were the solution. And the traditions were the solution. I was in a meeting. It started on time. I recognized the format from the other fellowship. I recognized the steps. I recognized, you know, um, <clears throat> and, but my point was one of the members was starting to say to me, Denise, you know, you know, when you wear this or when you do that, that, you know, triggers me. Right. So I said, okay. So I rang one of my trusted members and he said, you go and tell that guy he knows needs to go and speak to his sponsor. He needs to stop lusting and not to be telling you anymore to be whatever. <laughs> and so I said, listen, <laughs> you know, um, because it's an inside job. He was lusting. I wasn't. I wasn't the cause. I'm not the cause of his disease. You know, I'm not a lust trigger. I'm a human being. You are being triggered by me. You are being triggered by me. And I am being triggered by whoever, you know. And and I think it's so funny because, you know, there I was sitting in a room full of 30 men and, um, you know, somehow I've got magic powers that I can sit in the room, right, you know, and not, whereas they have one woman to deal with and they have to like, ah, you know. <laughs> I'm like, do you think I have special powers or something? Or maybe my sponsor's telling me to surrender my lust each time. You know, so there's never, ever an excuse for not letting somebody into a meeting ever. That's my uh, history in the 12th tradition three. Um, and um, with all respect to specialized meetings in my other program, there's women only, men only, professionals only. There's you know all sorts of different. Uh, they call them double anonymity meetings, you know, but you can never turn anyone away from a meeting if they turn up, you know. Um, and I don't know how we would manage ourselves, you know, the nature of our illness. It can be a bit more complicated, you know, if you have a woman trying to infiltrate a man's meeting, you know, intentionally or vice versa, you know, there are complications to that, but each group should be able to manage that and help the person who's obviously not well, you know, with, with, with the sobriety. So anyway, I think I'll end on that. I'm very grateful, um, very grateful to be here and um, grateful to have heard your share and uh, I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Denise. We close at 10.15. It's 9 after 10 right now, so we've got just a couple minutes. 
if you'd like to oh. share your question, yeah. you can write he it can, or just can, come speak it. He can't. He can't write. We'll just, just come gonna, speak it. Could, I'm just gonna speak it. Yeah. Huh? I'll I'll, I'll repeat we'll it for repeat you. We'll repeat it. Yeah. So you just. I felt too claustrophobic. You say please. Thank you, Brad, and thank you, Denise. Wow. So happy to be here. There too. <laughs> and I really appreciate the needs. Wow. I got so much healing now from you from the chair. And just to mention, about they have mixed groups. And just to share the, I know one of our other meetings actually. It really has to be a question because it's not recorded. Right. Yeah. Quickly. So that I can repeat the question and I can yes. answer. <laughs> Um, when you mentioned when you mentioned about sometimes the vote comes out long, even if it has should be yes, and then everybody voted no, and the, the vote should really be yes. Then you ask the minority opinion. Can you? What's the purpose of that? Like. So we we have a system of uh, now I have a few parliamentarians. What's the purpose of an? Incorrect group conscience or a mistake, and, opinion. and the minority opinion. So, first thing, I don't think there's ever mistakes really as such. There's just maybe better ways of doing things or different opinions, but there are some things that aren't indicated. Okay, so uh, with the purpose of your minority opinion is to your opinion could make people um, change their vote. So, right. So, do you vote after this again? Yes, you do. Yeah. You do another round, and then you say, you would say, um, do, "Would anybody like to change their vote?" Uh, if you listen to the, if we, if we get the minority opinion, and it should always be—I mean, technically, it, it, it's indicated that we should have it in all group conscience. Like in, when I was in AA, all the group consciences did that, even the local ones, and you, it could take forever because you're going back and forth, <laughs> but you're also learning tolerance, right? Um, but it means that <coughs> nobody feels unheard. That um, the we can we can we can make mistakes. Like I often change. I have no qualms about changing my my vote if I say, "Oh God, that person actually is right." I've actually thought about it a bit more now, you know. So I can really shift everything. So it's quite important. Thank you. Um, this gentleman provided two questions. He says, "Pick a question." So the first one is, "Yeah, can we vote on the question?" Does group conscience work as described if the meeting members are not yet a group? It's a great question. And I think my, my experience would be, yes, it can work. There are pitfalls. Uh, one of the pitfalls I've experienced is a very dominating member. I went to a meeting and it was this gentleman's meeting. His name was basically the meeting. And so when group conscience came up, we came up against a lot of resistance from that individual because it was his meeting. He'd been there for years. And we were just all kind of on, on the way for the ride. And as we progressed towards a group, you know, the, tw the tradition one says the 12th step work forms the group. Not me or you in our, in our wisdom, but it's the 12th step that forms the group. And so I think group, any, anybody can have a group conscience. 
especially in, in light of the second tradition, the group conscience and the, the, uh, the loving God. That's where the, the true experience of group conscience occurs. So watch for pitfalls. And my sponsor used to say um, the next right thing might be the next right mistake because I got a lesson to learn. And he's okay with me making mistakes. And I think God's okay with it. God's not surprised by my bumbling, stumbling along in my recovery. I think my higher power kind of likes it, by the way. Uh, we need to close. I've got a couple of pamphlets up here if you want to come look at them. I want to keep them. So please don't steal them. But, uh, feel free to see them as reference. Look at them as references. Denise, thank you so much for sh- your share and your service. Uh, shall we gather and close with a prayer? I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.